This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Distilled, a spirited podcast. Hello and welcome to Distilled, the podcast with two D's, two I's, two L's and some other letters. My name is Julie Christie and this is our last episode for the season. Don't worry, we have big plans for season two, so make sure to follow us on our social channels at Distilled Pod on Twitter and at Distilled Podcast on Instagram for updates. At Distilled, we're all about getting different perspectives on the whiskey industry. So it'd be remiss of us to ignore the most important people in the chain, the ones who actually buy and enjoy the whiskey. Without them, or should I say us, there would be no need for a teeling, a jingle, or even a Middleton, and certainly no need for a distilled podcast. As the Irish whiskey industry has grown, so too has the increase in demand for whiskey criticism and reviews. This is hardly surprising since whiskey tends to lend itself to somewhat an obsessive personality type. Whiskey drinkers, by and large, tend to be well informed and curious. So at events like Whiskey Live Dublin, it's not unusual to hear distillery reps being quizzed on cast types, mash bills, and even ambient temperatures in the warehouse. So today, representing all whiskey drinkers everywhere, no pressure, is the man behind the excellent whiskey blog, That's Dram Good, Omar Fitzell, who joins us on the phone from Sunny Cork. Hi Omar, welcome to Distilled. Hey Julie, thanks for having me on. So we're going to get started, first of all, with a little bit about your background. How did you come to fall in love with whiskey and become so active in the whiskey community? Um, by accident, really, I suppose. Um, I, I didn't really drink until I met my wife. So the, the saying goes that she did drive me to drink. That's fact. Yeah, it was all downhill <laughs> but, um, from there. <laughs> all, all downhill from there. But... Um, I suppose it started back in about 2009 when um, I started working uh, with a guy called Mike Thompson. Um, Mike was big into whiskey from from previous backgrounds when he worked in a bar. Um, and Mike introduced me to Jemison. And Jemison and I, starting off, to be honest with you, um, to let my palace get used to us. And I went from Jemison with ice to just Jemison. And after that, I, I kind of tipped on my shoulder and said, come here, there has to be more to this. Um, and he brought me down to Redbreast uh, 12, and it was just skyrocketing from, from there. Yeah. So I wasn't always into whiskey, you know, until maybe 10 years, um, but he, he's the unfortunate person that I'm putting the blame on for. <laughs> <laughs> and you would be a member of the, the Cork Whiskey Society, Omar. So when would you have joined that? Would you have said that would have opened you up to a lot of new expressions from Ireland and across the globe? Would you say that kind of furthered your knowledge more? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, 100%. I actually did a, a, a video blog with um, Barry Chandler from Stories and Sips last week, and that was one of the things that I said. I was, well, I joined the Irish Whiskey Society when it was the Cork chapter um, many years ago. I can't remember when it was. Um, but that, that completely opened my eyes to to really drinking for enjoyment and for tasting notes. 
um, the history behind it, which, which I'm very interested in, and the stories that, that come from whiskey and whiskey distilleries. Um, and then later, it changed from the Cork Chapel, the Irish Whiskey Society, to, as we know it today, the Cork Whiskey Society, and stayed with them. Um, and, and they've been just going from strength to strength, as all of the, the, the societies are. We've new one in Watford, as you know, um, the Aviators, the Irish Whiskey Society, the Dingle Chapter, um, they're absolutely fantastic. And anyone who asks me for advice, the first piece of advice that I give them is join a society because it just opens your horizons massively. Um, to be able to sit down and listen to some of the greats in Irish whiskey, um, like Alex from Teeling and George Garland from Irish Distillers and, and all the rest of the lads, Stephen McGuinness, um, you get to, to listen to these people talk about what they love. And their love just generally translates across to your love. Yeah, 100%. And you also get to try a lot of things that you wouldn't normally get to try. You know, you might not normally afford to try in a bar, but you might be up there in the tasting as well. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're tasting it for for a very reasonable price. And look, at the end of the day, all you need is, is 15 mils there, thereabouts to do a proper tasting, um, which you, you can't buy in a bar. Most bars are 20 mils or 30 mils, depending on what it is. But you're you're getting excellent whiskies for rock bottom prices. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. And and trying and trying them alongside excellent whiskies, which is an even better thing. And again, you're trying them with people, so it's not about um, being alone drinking whiskey. It's about sharing it and being social and chatting with other people and, and finding other tasting notes. And you mentioned in your intro, um, basically being whiskey geeks, because that's what we are. It's, a, it's an obsessive personality. You're 100% right. Yeah, sorry um, about that. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I, I didn't take it as a criticism. I didn't, either, but I didn't take it as a criticism. But you're 100% right. You get a little bit obsessive about an obsessive whiskey notes and tasting notes. And what one person gets, like if Oliver Dean there, whiskey talk to you on Twitter, he, his palate is just fantastic um, and, and he comes out with some ridiculously great notes that I can't even guess but over time as you develop your palate you'll, you'll get all that and the society going back to the original thing is where I started developing a palate where, where I could actually start picking out notes and I was listening to all the people around me picking out notes and then realising oh yeah that's exactly what that is yeah, no, it's a it's a very close community. I think it definitely does bond a lot of people. Um, you organise the the Friday night drinks, the Friday night dram. Um, that obviously gets people from all over the world. Would you say you know you get people from the states chipping in what they're drinking on a Friday night, or, or how would that work? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it's strange. Right? We came up with or I came up with Friday night dram um, before I actually started blogging, really. But it took off when I started blogging. Um, as a way to just see what other people were drinking um, and just chat about whiskey. Uh, at the moment, it's huge, if I can say that. You were <laughs> trending on Twitter, I believe. Uh, pardon? You were trending on Twitter, I believe, last week. Trending, yeah. We, we've, we've been tra- we were trending last week and we were trending about three months ago uh, in the Irish Sats, uh, down to six last week. That's amazing. Tremendous. Um, that was great that the late late show has stopped because that normally takes the first that's a start of it. But yeah, no, it's great to, to be trending. Um the, the only problem with it is obviously it's half seven ish on a Friday night and if you translate that to the likes of the States, it didn't become very early in the day. But we have people in the States who, who follow us. There's a, a lady Sophia who's religiously on every Friday night. Um, for a dram um, there's loads of people from around the world uh, Germany we have people from Spain Italy um, all through Europe 
we've had a couple of people from Asia who, who are getting up in the middle of the yeah. night to share what they're what they're they're drinking. So yeah, it's a great little community and a great way of, of just meeting people. And I know you're meeting them online and and uh, not physically meeting them, but the likes of Whiskey Live last year, I have had so many people come up to me at Whiskey Live. Uh, introducing themselves by their Twitter handle, yeah, uh, and realizing that, that that I knew these people. That's amazing, isn't it? Them, but, yeah, but I knew them. Yeah, they can come up and be like, "Oh, that's damn good." <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, Omar, we talked a little bit. I mentioned earlier a little bit about your blog. Um, could you tell us how that started and why you do it? Um, I suppose it just came from sitting back for an hour on the couch with a whiskey, enjoying it. Um, my wife realising that I spent an hour on one measure of whiskey, nosing and sipping it and tasting it and writing notes. And Rose turned around to me one day and said, why don't you put that onto the internet? And I kind of dismissed it at first. And another friend at work said the exact same thing to me. Why, why don't you just do a blog? And over the space of, I suppose, two months, um, a year and a half ago, I decided, yeah, sure, let's give this a try. I had a look at a few websites, found that it's actually fairly easy to, to create a website, even for somebody like me. Um, and I just went for it. Why do I do it? I, I don't really know, Julie. I suppose just the interest, the interest in the community and the fact that everyone is so friendly and, yeah, and is dying, <laughs> thirsting for knowledge out there. No, there definitely is. There seems to be a huge following. I mean, obviously on your own blog, but also whiskey blogs in general as well. And I think it's, you know, it's a place where people can come together and, and share their own opinions. Yes, big time. Yeah, big time. And all my opinions are different. That's the beauty of whiskey. My palate is different to yours, um, is different to the next person and different again to the person after that. And that's the beauty about it. Um, I suppose one of the big things for me and with the blog is, is I'm learning. I'm learning the whole time. Um, and I'm being corrected, be under no illusion. Um, I'm not gospel at all, at all. Uh, if I do get corrected, I change it on the blog, obviously, straight away. But um, researching stuff and researching different whiskies and getting to know the different people in, in the community, that's what it's all about for me. The thirst for knowledge behind whiskey. So for some of our listeners who might not be hugely into their whiskey at the moment, but are kind of getting into it, um, would you say your blog is quite approachable for that? Would you provide recommendations for people that are just starting to get into whiskey? Or would it be more for, as we mentioned, the kind of whiskey nerd people that know about their whiskeys? I, I try and keep it uh, somewhere in the middle. I, I, I don't aim it for for people who are really into whiskey not really aim it for the new person I aim it kind of in the middle so that it captures all at least I try Grace. to do that um, because I think it's important to try and hit both sides and I, I get sometimes flat from, from some of the let's call it whiskey nerds and I don't mean that as an offensive term because I am one um, but I get a lot of flack from some of the whiskey nerds sometimes that I don't put in too much information but you don't want to you don't want to destroy a blog with loads of information that'll turn a new person off. You want to bring yeah. somebody who's new whiskey on and, and, and get them interested. So for some of our listeners who are maybe getting into whiskey, is there any kind of whiskies you've tried recently that you would recommend or um you know, anything maybe to to stay clear from? Um Yeah, tough one. Because we have a lot of whiskies at the moment. Um, we have some some absolutely spectacular whiskies coming out at the moment. My my go to look is is Redbreast, 
Um, and most people will know that at this stage. My, my, one of my all-time favourites is Redbreast 15 and Redbreast 12 being my, my go-to. So if anyone ever asks me for a recommendation, I generally push them that way. Um, after that, then I go for like some maybe a teeling small batch, um, a Walsh Copper Pot, uh, or their new Double Oak, very easy drinkers, uh, and a little bit of a sweeter side. And most palates will take to them. So that's generally what I push people towards when they're trying whiskey. And once they've tried it and enjoy it, I then try and take them on a merry dance. And I have a lot of people, believe it or not, who, who message me generally on Facebook, um, who will message me looking for recommendations and keep coming back every two or three weeks. Right, I try that. I really like it. What next? Yeah, I mean, and, it's and, and, I, and I, have, I have sorry, I have maybe forty people who are doing that on maybe a bi-monthly basis. Surprisingly enough. Well, you might have uh, 45 after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do one of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's so difficult to keep up with all the new releases, I think. Um, you know, just about this time of year, there's kind of one coming out every week. Um, would you say yeah. you would have more whiskies for enjoyment or would you also do a little bit of collecting for investment as well? I do both. Now, going back to your, your first point about um, about so many new whiskies coming that's another thing to note this is all part time by the I don't get paid for there's no monetary gain whatsoever so sometimes I do lag behind some releases and that's simply just because of family life and and work life uh, which obviously has to come first of course so just in case people are wondering why I haven't got up a review of something that's generally why because it is a completely part time and, and to do a review is probably three hours between tasting and writing yes but sorry I digress um Collecting and drinking, I do both. Um, I have I have a couple of hundred bottles that I, I've collected, and at any one time, I'd have fifty to sixty open bottles in the house. Um, so I, uh, I I do both. Anything that I've collected, I've tried. I don't collect something unless I can try it. That's what I love about um, Celtic Whiskey Bar in Killarney. Um, you you can go in and you can find the most rare whiskey that you have. And you can try it for a reasonable price. Um, and I try and do that for everything I have. And I try, I do it for everything I have. The Napogue 51, the Dungori 64, anything that I have in my collection, I will have drank and I'll know whether I like it or not. Um, whether I'll ever open it or whether it'll eventually become a college fund, I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I don't sell whiskey. I try and collect it or swap. Um, I am on a lot of these, these groups online, but, but I I try more to buy or swap rather than sell. Um, and as you said, I, I open whiskey. Anything, anything that I get as, as let's say, an influencer, and I'm not big on that term, um, as a whiskey writer, anything that I get is opened um, and generally shared with, with a couple of friends to see what they, they think of it. Um, so as I say, 50 to 60 open bottles, something different for the palate every night. Not just Irish whiskey, but a scotch in there as well, but a piece of whiskey. Um, I like to try everything, really. Yeah, so it's definitely a great way, a great outlook to have. I think I, I would do like a small bit of collecting myself, obviously nowhere near to the collection you would have, but actually collecting stuff you've tasted, I think is a great thing to, to take from that conversation there. Um, and what well, they're, they're, made, they're made to be, they're made to be, to be drunk. Um, they're not meant to sit really on the shelf. Um, and a very famous distiller who I won't mention, um, has said that before when somebody asked him, "Are you are you proud of whiskies bearing your name sitting on a shelf that are there with twenty years?" 
he, he said, no, I'm not. I, I expected them to be drank over the years. And that's what they are there for. Now, look, we're all going to collect. We're all going to probably flip whiskies here and there. And, and look, that's now part of the fabric of whiskey drinking and whiskey collecting. Um, but I do think it is important to, to taste it, taste the liquid and try it. And in saying that, I do have friends who collect whiskey who don't drink at all which I find a little bit strange, but look, horses for courses. Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe you'll get them over to the dark side soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely. It has completely taken off. I know from you know a Celtic whiskey shop perspective, uh, we started Celtic whiskey auction in November last year. And just the amount of lots, we do a bi-monthly auction, so every second month for our listeners. Um and the amount of lots that has grown in each auction is considerable. There seems to be a lot more collectors out there. But I think it is important to remember, as you said, that they make whiskey for drinking. So um, it's a good excuse for us all to yeah. enjoy it. And Absolutely. And, and the, the other thing about collecting whiskey is you should really only collect something that you're willing to drink. Because if if the, the rear end of the market drops out and prices fall, then the last thing you want is to be left with a load of whiskey that you paid a fortune for and that you now can't sell for what you paid for it. You're at a massive loss. Whereas if you drink whiskey and you enjoy it, then you can always open the bottle. Yeah, it's always a win-win. Obviously, in, in, obviously in moderation now and drink responsibly and all that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that kind of brings <laughs> us to our next question, Omar. What is your thoughts on the growth of specifically Irish whiskey at the moment, but also whiskey in general? Um, Irish whiskey is, is, is phenomenal. I, I, I've been asked, do I think there's going to be a bubble? And to be honest, I don't think there is. I think we're, we're, we're moving down the right track. Um, people are being held accountable, which is a good thing. Um, and being held accountable by the industry. So there's very few lies out there and misconceptions in whiskey, which, which could damage Irish whiskey. But no, everyone seems to be towing the party line to a certain degree. Um, we're going in the right direction. There's just continuous growth across the industry. Um, what I really like at the moment is, is especially the states. Um, they're trying to move people away from shots, and I hate the term shots with a passion. Uh, there's no place for shooting whiskey. It's it's enjoyous in, in a nice measure and in, in a dram. Um, but uh, Irish distillers and Tullamore Dew are making massive inroads in the states to stop that. Uh, and I think once that has stopped, and the shooting of whiskey goes and it's more towards enjoyment, I think our industry is only going to, to get bigger and bigger. Yeah, no, I think um, they're doing tremendous work on a global scale in, in terms of edu- educating customers. Um, is there any kind of whiskey innovations that you see distilleries doing that are quite interesting at the moment? Or is there anything you don't really like apart from shots? Um no, no, I kind of like everything that's going on. Innovation is great. Um, I, I was only talking to Brendan Carty from Kilone Distillery uh, last night, um, and we were just chatting about their direct-fired stills, nice small artisan distillery worm tubs, um, which will all all add to to the whiskey. But he's doing double distilled pieces. Oh, fantastic! So yeah, that that'll be interesting. That'll be different. Um, and even though it's, it's only small innovation, it's still innovation. You have uh, Louise down in JJ Curry who, who did the, the Italian, the mezcal and tequila finished whiskey. So innovation is fantastic. Um, and I suppose the fact that we're so open in Ireland that we can use different casks and wood types is just tremendous. And when you look at 
the, the Scotch Whiskey Association have now introduced more types of casks that the Scotch industry can use. I, I sit back and I wonder, is this coming from Irish whiskey? Have they sat back and said, they're making such big inroads in Irish whiskey that the Scotch have to follow us? Yeah, no, definitely. I would say that. I mean, if, as a fellow Scottish person, I probably would say that's true. Um, you know, it's almost like they've kind of restricted themselves just ever so slightly too much um, in that sense, whereas at the moment, the kind of Irish whiskey restrictions are quite broad. So it does kind yeah. of leave a lot more scope for innovation. And the, the JJ Corey, the battalion, fantastic whiskey. Yeah, Fantastic. innovation in, innovation is is the key, uh, I think, to Irish whiskey because it it has set us different. It has made us different um, to Scotch. And look, I'm a Scotch drinker. Um, I, I, I I love loads of different types of Scotches, both peated and unpeated, from from Oxmoor all the way down to to uh, Sherry Glendronach. But Irish whiskey is just a touch of class. It's just uh, something different because of innovation, because of the fact that we can use so many different types of casks. And when when, when a blogger or a whiskey writer says different, sometimes people think different is bad. Different isn't bad. Not at all, especially with Irish whiskey. And in terms of, I mean, Omar, you seem very kind of positive for what the, the future holds for Irish whiskey, but is there any kind of potential problems that you might see to sustain growth? Um, the... The public health bill would probably be my immediate worry. So there's a new bill which will put Ireland into, into basically a dark market whereby um, a lot of advertising can't happen and, and just a load of other stuff, minimum pricing on alcohol. Um, minimum pricing, maybe not a bad thing, to be honest with you, especially where you have the likes of um, big chains like Super Value and, and the rest of them where, where they can buy in bulk and sell at maybe a, a bit of a loss, which negatively affects our small off licenses which which generally I push people towards um, more than the, the major stores. But that bill um, and putting us in a dark market could affect um, advertising ability. And at the moment there is a, a, an advertising standard uh, here in Ireland which is a voluntary standard which I, I believe all uh, distilleries have signed up to, if not all, most. And that's simple stuff and common sense stuff that you don't advertise alcohol at a cinema. Yeah, um, drinkaware.ie and so forth. Exactly. And, and if, if you look at my blog, the first thing that went on my blog was drinkaware. And so on the first page, it has always been on the first page, centre of the page, um, and I always will be there. But putting us in a dark market could have a, a big effect. Plus, the, the, I suppose the biggest part of that bill for me then would be the cancer labels. The, the, the bill gives the power to the Minister yes. for Health. And the Minister for Health, not the Department, but most of the Minister for Health, to basically write whatever label he wants. Um, so you'd, you'd have to wonder what kind of empirical research is going to be used for that, uh, what kind of data is going to be used, and what are they going to say. Because at the end of the day, if you're flying out of Dublin Airport and you have an Irish whiskey bottle here on the left and a big label that says this causes cancer versus a scotch on the right that has no label, then you'd have to wonder, which would you buy? Yeah, that's very, that very could, true. That could, that could, that could hit us a little bit um, uh, because the, the likes of the Loop and the likes of airports especially um, are a big place for Irish whiskey and a big place for educating people in Irish whiskey. Yeah. So those kind of labels, those kind of labels as you're flying out of Ireland may not be the best for the industry. Well, I think that's a great point and, you know, definitely, you know, with the 
change in environment and you know as things prosper like you know there is going to be an element of change and distilleries as you said had to keep differentiating themselves to be different and to stand out from the crowd um but i think that kind of brings us to the end today omar so thank you very much for your time and uh we'll see you soon thank you very much we'll see you on Saturday for a dram yeah perfect we will yeah let us know when you're next down Well, that about does it for this episode and indeed the first season of Distilled, the podcast that will return bigger, better and bolder than ever. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I hope to see you again soon. And until then, my name is Julie Christie and this has been Distilled.